Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to the Daydream Cast, orbiting live from the Satellite of Dreams. Unfortunately, Brogan is out today, but I've got a swell replacement for him. I've got the fella you all know and love, the guy whose soul is set on being Jet. I've got Calvin from the Twin Geeks cast. Hello. Uh, happy to be here. In uh, Bro's absence, we're wishing him well, and I think he'll be back very soon. So. Well, you, you, you fit his ivory throne quite well. <laughs> I have a lot of experience, I guess, in uh, video games, video game coverage, festival coverage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, video yeah, game. Yeah, Do yeah. they call them festivals? Am I too much of a movie head? They call them expositions. Uh, Expos. Expositions, yes. The Electronic Entertainment Expo. <laughs> this is going to be our, our sort of partly E3 special, partly... Uh, Sort of moratorium on the whole E3 experiment. And uh, I think we have the, a fit, very fitting game in Blood Omen, which is a, a first E3 game that we'll kind of wrap around and uh, talk about influence of E3 on initial game development. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I, I you know, Spoilers, I, I love this game of the week. Um, but we'll get into that. So you uh, recently have dived back into being a gamer. You, you made the conscious choice. Uh only a week ago, really. I picked up my gamer gear, uh, my gamer fuel, um, my, uh, my what is it, Mountain Dew with the codes on it? Is that how you ingratiate yeah, yourself yeah. in the gamer community? You uh, collect Your Mountain codes. Dew and Doritos, your D- Dorito-flavored Mountain Dew, your Mountain Dew-flavored Doritos. Uh, fitting, because we have uh, Keeley, the um, the Dorito god, uh, later, uh, his show we're promoting. Um, promoting? Yeah. No, uh, criticizing. One of Covering. Those. Yeah. Covering. Uh, lambasting. Lambasting. And, uh, yeah, so I went to the next generation. I guess, is, is Switch not the same generation as Xbox Series? Nintendo exists in their own parallel universe. Okay, yeah, they're just their own generation, right? Like, whatever Nintendo thing comes out, that seems to me the start of every generation. Um, well, the Switch came out well before the PS5 exactly. and I, Xbox One X. I feel like just on the track record, because I know like DS was the start of that generation, then every time Nintendo's like an inch ahead, or uh, seems to be doing their own thing with yeah. different technology. And... They catch up and then immediately fall behind, but usually they catch up in a way that's like interesting. Yeah, their intentionality in how they catch up and what they do is very bespoke to them. Um very designed with conscious uh, decisions on like what game design limitations they could actually uh, cover as a company. That makes sense to me usually. Yeah. Um, but you didn't pick up a Switch. You you went for uh, the house. Uh, uh, I was about to say Jeff, but but Jeff Keeley is distinctly not with Xbox anymore. <laughs> it's uh, Major Nelson's uh, Xbox. I don't know who's uh, Phil Spencer. Is he still the Xbox guy? Um, yes. Okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, I got the Phil Spencer box, and I'm uh, very excited. Uh, With the Phil Spencer pass. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I'm thinking a lot about what it would mean for the Xbox to be next-gen based on the things I'm playing. Uh, to me, it feels uh, most like a PC of any console I've played, so there is like a generational switch where I'm doing things that seem to me um, to be PC-oriented, uh, the whole idea of Microsoft Flight Simulator, especially in uh, all my memories of that, uh, the old games of that series, uh, very, very PC. Like, you couldn't think of uh, any of those existing in a console. Just like the means of access yeah. and how you have to play them, it wouldn't have made sense before this generation uh, with the features it has. 
Um, we're, mm -hmm. we're looking at like a distinct weather patterning that's uh, more accurate than say like the weather channel or your weather app on your phone. Uh, there. Yeah. Well, that was something like, uh, I said on a previous cast that I'm not really interested in graphical fidelity getting better, but more like processing power so that we can use that for like, I don't know, realistic, like destruction physics and weather patterns and that sort of thing. Like that's when games will really start feeling next gen to me. I don't really care if I can see the pores <laughs> on the character's face. Yeah, I don't care about photorealism so much, but extrapolating an entire world that is our own from like geometric patterns on like your mapping data that's like fucking fascinating to me in a way that i don't care about realism but just the ability for a console to process this level of uh information at a rapid pace enough you know it's uh projecting every area of the earth as like a square box so you could think of like a county or something and think like okay that's a square box with its own individual weather pattern and then as you move into the next one it has to auto generate from the cloud like the exact design taken from its map of the place, but also the new weather pattern box. Like everything's existing like in this, you know, squared off area. So you could see practically how it could still work. Like it's not rendering an entire earth and then you're just flying over it. And it's, you know, it's still coming up with that data as you move. That's very interesting. To yeah. Me. Now I've never really been interested in flight sim. <laughs> Can you, is it strictly just like an eye candy game in that regard? Or is there an actual like game at work there? I mean, you could like really get in the cockpit and like flip all the switches on the plane. Like you could uh, move your, uh, your mouse or your cursor around. It feels like a mouse. I guess that's the other thing. It really feels like a PC game that's just on a controller. Yeah. You're just moving a cursor around. There's so many options. You know, you wish you had a flight stick for it, but uh, uh, just the integrity of the simulation, I think is really good without being... Uh, one of those more hardcore sims that's just unintelligible to like a a normal person um uh it's still very flyable i mean you could you could get in there and take off and land and uh just be a normal person but uh there's also like all these other things that you could turn on like there's a whole depth of features and uh the more i'm investing in it the more i'm like you know playing with flaps and figuring out like all the parts of the plane and it's really plane porn in a way but uh uh, it's also yeah. just nice to like. Uh, I think everyone just uh, wants to uh, fly over their uh, home, crash into their apartment, their own uh, <laughs> their own building, and it doesn't render that. I, I don't know if that's like an option, but I have it. I must have it turned off, or it just blacks out when you seem to crash on the ground. I don't know if there's a oh, more detail. Yeah, I don't think they would invest in realistic destruction <laughs> physics. I think that would uh, cause the game to shoot up a few ratings. Your plane can take on a little bit of destruction, but I don't think it would make sense for like buildings okay. and everything. Of course, you don't want it to yeah. be that kind of simulator. Um, no, 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 uh, no. So what else? What else have you been exploring on the Game Pass? Likewise, I find like the whole cloud thing has finally come to the uh, fore in a way that I find really, uh, I guess, intelligible as a consumer that's like interfacing with this idea of like a, what a cloud or like a dri drive avatar uh, would be in Forza. Um, okay. Turn 10 Studios, uh, also another um, Seattle based studio. I, I think Microsoft Flight Simulator is probably based around here, but uh, we'll find out about that later. Um, there's a. Uh, it's hard to say like it's a it's a totally new Forza game like it's just the same but it's in Mexico and it just seems higher res and uh, all the mm -hmm. details of like the shrubbery and the you know the cactus and everything just seem very 
Yeah, the cactus seemed pokey. Good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The dr- this is Forza Horizon 5. Yeah, Forza uh, Horizon 5. And they, uh, you know, we'll okay. get into more Forza news, but uh, uh, <laughs> somehow I've, I've explored more of like the, um, I guess, user created features, and it all just seems very integrated in a way that, once again, I feel like I'm interacting with the PC. Like, it's very uh, easy for me to get around like these filters and figure out like the uh, user generated tracks and. Uh, the, the libraries, the uh, designs for the cars that are like human painted. Uh, if you want to anime waifu on your car, that's easy to do. Uh, okay, sure. Um, I've never been, I've never been too interested in like Gran Turismo <laughs> and those sort of racing games. But Forza Horizon has always intrigued me because I like the idea of like it's a lot of like off road and like racing in cities, right? It's not yeah. like you're actually on tracks. Uh, well, yeah, it's a bit of everything, right? Like it's a entire map that's laid out with regions of Mexico in this case, where there are like mm. the, um, there's like a city that's like a track based city. And then there's like, uh, you know, like, um, more foresty areas. Then there's a, the Baja area and there's a, a mountainous area, a swamp area. It's like all these things and they're all kind of, um, cohesive in this one map and you could just move between them and you know you drive everywhere it's a uh, my model for like the perfect driving game is the uh, criterion games which are uh, the old burnout games especially really are close to my heart oh i love burnout i'm waiting for burnout to get its like high res uh remake or reboot you know, where they'll do, like, the, the panning shot of, like, the details on the car and then just cut to it immediately getting plastered. I think I've shared it before, but that was, like, the height of my game journalism was, like, they flew, flew me out to Germany and I got to go drive Porsches around a test track and play a, a, a burnout game. Um, <laughs> or was it a Need for Speed? Need for Speed Most Wanted, which was basically the burnout studio doing that in Need for Speed. And kind of that was the template for what Forza Horizon became which was like this open world uh, burnout thing where everything you do contributes to a meter. It's like the burnout games where it's like near miss uh, drift um, mm. running over a cactus. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, that does still sound appealing for me. You know, the yeah. steam summer sales going, I, I, I find myself tempted. Forza horizon is also the one that do, does all like the wacky DLC, right? Yeah. They have uh, you, you saw like the hot wheels, which we'll get to there. Uh, that, that started in Forza horizon three. And uh, I haven't explored if there's any further DLC yet, but uh, it's also a seasonal approach. Like uh, just as uh, I loaded up today, we started a uh, wet summer. <laughs> the the oh, wet summer the uh, summer of wet yeah uh, which is uh, uh how it feels right now for both of us as it uh increases in humidity and we approach a heat wave um but uh yeah I, wet I, car summer i like that uh, that terrain that you're used to and that world that you have context for could change every few weeks or whenever uh the the sections of uh, the seasonal stuff happens like i don't know like wet might just be a phase of summer um so uh, I'm excited to just keep playing and like I, I've always been resistant to forever games that are designed like yeah. at Microsoft Flight Simulator and Forza Horizon. Like I, I want to play a bit of everything. I want to play small games especially. Um, so I'm uh, yeah. I feel like I'm just starting my console life on these really big like major uh, universal games that never end. Uh, I don't think that will last forever. But um, well, you you've played Flight Sim and you've played a car game. Did you play any non dad games? I played a NHL. <laughs> Chell, as <laughs> okay, we say. so yeah. the answer is uh, I'm not. The answer is Omno. Uh, om yes. 
Omno is like a very angular, pretty looking journey ripoff in a way, but uh, designed by one person. So we accept that kind of uh, uh, that that <laughs> derisive criticism that's just the same as other games. Omno is the name of the game. I thought you were saying um no. <laughs> uh, I was trying to play it <laughs> like... off like a like a pun, but uh... <laughs> okay, Omno. I have not um I have not seen this. So is it like two D or three D? It's a three D. Um, just think Journey, like that game company's Journey. Um, uh, essentially that, and you're just like this angular little guy who's exploring this world of uh, creatures that uh, just kind of exist there. You're doing light puzzle solving. It's perfect for Ezra. She could get around easy. Um, mm. And she could solve everything. There's no imminent threat. There's no danger in the game. Um, you could kind of fall off while you're doing some uh, uh, platforming, and that's just enough challenge for her. So, uh, Was Ezra excited about the Xbox, or is she not a gamer? She's she's really becoming one. So I think, yeah, she's invested in what we're doing. We also uh, booted up Ori in the Blind Forest, which I hadn't really played, surprisingly. Um, mm and i mean i think the start of that game may be a bit heavy for a kid if i remember correctly it was very affecting for her uh, yeah i mean she's uh she's worried about the game consistently we just got through the bit uh, with the spiders and that scared her quite ooh. a bit uh <laughs> yeah i mean ori's hooks are just so good and and mechanically it's so sound i, I don't know i'm looking forward to playing more of that too yeah, and I think we're finally at a stage where, like, again, processing power-wise, I bet that game, like, runs like butter. Yeah. Because uh, I remember when it first came out, there was talks about, like, it has too much, too many effects going on. It's stuttering the frame rate. I think my uh, favorite next-gen uh, revelation is just the um, continue game feature. Like, you you get in and you hold the start button, and uh, I, I just spent so many days of my youth, like, with the uh, NES plugged in for a whole weekend, like, left on so I, w uh, I wouldn't lose my game progress in a giant well, you RPG. gotta write down the passwords yeah and then even once games got cartridges the batteries sometimes died you had to you know kind of work around uh those uh save points that were often not available um i feel like it's changed the whole but, game but that made the games harder you're yeah. a you're a hardcore gamer because you put up with that correct that's what i've been told but that you know Auto saves are for weenies. Yeah, but what if there's no save? Like, what if video games don't need saves anymore? Um, I think that's, <laughs> like, the interesting concept of the console is, like, what if I just go in and I, I could Forza wherever I was Forzaing? Um, mm. uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. What if I just... Uh, drop in, drop out. Yeah, I load up Flight Simulator. I'm, you know, this is the only reason that game works, I think, because you're halfway on a flight from, like, uh, say, like, Seattle to New York, and it's, like... Uh, it's real time. You you spend the exact amount of time you would flying in a real plane. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean the whole Earth is properly modeled. The planes are proper, properly modeled, and they go the right speed. So, uh, it's Jeez. it's genuinely as long as a flight would be. Um, so yeah, like that's the only saving feature that makes it redeemable on a console, right? Like you could spend that time on your PC hypothetically and kind of freeze your PC and go do something else, but with the console. Uh, it, you know, it's attached to your TV, you're doing other things, you're playing other games. So uh, the the beauty of, like, the new generation, I think, is just that ease of use where you could just come back in. Yeah. So do you have any opinions on, like, Game Pass itself? Because I have still not picked it up, but you're kind of, like, this is your first time being sub subjected to a subscription-based, like, Netflix of games. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, 
I'm used to it. Like the wall is very easy for me because I remember all the years of paying for Xbox Live and not knowing what I was paying for. So to get like the, yeah. you know, to get the inclusion of Game Pass just feels really natural to me. Uh, uh, I paid for that. Did Nintendo it come one. with the purchase of the console? No, no, I had to subscribe. I was surprised. I thought it would come with the month really? three of every time I bought an Xbox. It has. That is surprising. You'd think that would be like their get, like you one month free Game Pass with a purchase. I guess really they're selling you the Game Pass though, right? Like I, I guess if you're getting a Series that's... X, they're, uh, S, they're probably losing money. Genuinely, that's how Xbox, like Microsoft, skews these days. Like you know, the Game Pass is their big get, and it's kind of what they are winning the current generation with. It's not really on the quality of the games; it's just the accessibility is hot is like easier than it's ever been before i think and sony's trying to catch up but the <laughs> problem is is that right now they don't have the exclusives to catch up with and as we will talk about uh in the uh, next few segments like everything is just available like you watch the xbox conference it's like every game is coming to game pass that they showed like uh it's just every exclusive is there like i, I mean it would cost me you know hundreds of dollars to get all the ps5 exclusives separate from the console i mean uh, and i don't like their streaming options as much so i wouldn't trust them um so i feel like that's like a an investment i have to make later is like i'm gonna get a ps5 very late when the pre-owned market is kind of uh dried up and everything's lower cost uh, because the xbox just like the value proposition so high and i uh i think that's the the last of the next gen features is that you uh you have that easy use where you could just download so many things because you could switch in and out of everything now and it saves your progress. Like, it doesn't matter if you have 20 games. We've come a long way from Steam seeing new and scary. I remember like the first time I asked my parents to like buy, like give me money to buy a game on Steam. Uh, my dad's immediate opposition was like, well, if it's like just something you download, then what happens when they won't let you download it anymore? And, you know, I think in the end, Steam won that argument because now everything's digital only. Yeah, and like Game Pass, I'm not owning anything I'm playing, right? Like, I've, I'm playing all these games technically, but the only thing I've bought is uh, uh, the new Assassin's Creed game, like, uh, which I don't even, you know, have strong feelings about owning. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's a very strange place to be that I I feel okay with because the availability is so high there, and I have a feeling that all the first party stuff will stay on there. Like that's that's kind of mm -hmm. how you feel safe about it is knowing that uh, Forza Horizon might stay on there for you know another year or two until the next one. It'll always be there for you. <laughs> uh, well. You know what else is on a uh, Game Pass then? pretty interested in is that the yakuza games yakuza yes uh would you like a recommendation for for yakuza yeah uh, i i guess they're all on game pass i i think that's true uh where would where do you start uh well you you probably actually no wait uh you would probably have to start with one kiwami because i don't think the ps2 version of one and two are on there okay well, yeah, transitioning into the Yakuza Minute, uh, this is actually going to be more a bit like the Yakuza Half Minute, because I okay. technically have not finished Yakuza 3, but I'm, I'm close to the end based on sources close to me, i.e. I'm looking at a guide and seeing what chapter I'm at and how many chapters there are. <laughs> um, Yakuza 3 is a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Um, so, so, so... 
premise is, is that uh, Kazuma Kiryu, our, our beloved protagonist, he's out of the game. He's been out of the game for three years. He started an orphanage in Okinawa. He's happy. Um, then, suddenly, the guy who's leading the Tojo clan, his former Yakuza crew, uh, he gets shot by a guy who is like a dead ringer for uh, Kazuma's adopted father, the man who raised him, and who we <laughs> totally saw die on screen in Yakuza 1. Oh. <laughs> so, and he's currently like revealed to be doing some like shady shit with the CIA to try and like get a missile base set up in Okinawa on the land that Kiryu's orphanage is set. Mm. So it's like, it's like a crazy start to the game. Like I was kind of trepidatious being like, are they really going to do like the, they're pulling me back in storyline for the third time. Um, I had no idea. I, but it, I had played the opening of this game at release and, uh, with a friend. Well, I had no idea it yeah. goes there. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's how it starts. That's the prologue. It then jumps to six months previously. And then you do about six hours of orphanage shenanigans. Yeah, I think I got to that. I was I was just in the middle of the orphanage shenanigans, which I... Yeah. So, kind of the charm of the Yakuza series is that it does a great balance between, like, real serious crime drama and, like, wacky, like, character-driven comedy hijinks. Um, the issue is, is that, the like, the start of this game is six hours of just like the comedy hijinks and then every now and again it will do a serious moment and like on paper i like seeing kiryu interact with like these kids they uh -huh. all look up to him as like an adopted father he's teaching them about life he's teaching them about love he's teaching them not to be racist which is one of the subplots um yeah it's very charming too like the setting and everything is very uh oh it's it's great it's a beach game i love beach games it's very lived in um yeah but it's just like, this game has 12 chapters, okay. right? And we're not going to count the 12th chapter because that's uh, I've looked at it. It's just like a boss fight. Mm. So technically, you've got 11 chapters for story and gameplay content. Of those, five are orphanage shenanigans. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. That, it's, it's a lot. And even when it catches up to where the prologue is... Um, and Kiryu's like, I gotta go back to Tokyo. I've gotta like confront this man, find out if he really is my like the the dude I know. Why is he Why is he doing this? Um, and he says like, I my flight is tonight. I better prepare. <laughs> and then the kids come up and be like, Kiryu, can we get a dog for the orphanage? And so you've got to go on like a dog hunting quest. And then it's like, okay, I got the dog for the orphanage. I'm right. My flight is in six hours. The kids are like, Kiryu, can you teach me how to dress right? <laughs> it's like, you got to teach him how to dress right. And he's like, it, 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 like at some point I was expecting to arrive in Tokyo and then get a phone call being like, Kiryu, the, the toilet's clogged. Can you come back to Okinawa and do more orphanage shenanigans? Do, um, do you like those? Do you like that part of it? I would if it there was less of it, you know. Okay, there's too much. It's of like, that. it's a matter of like pacing and ratio. Like I've constantly said in like my review for Yakuza One and Yakuza Two that this game has a, this series has a pacing issue, mm -hmm. where it will drop like these tantalizing like plot hooks in you, and then say you can't address this hook until you do like two hours of things that are completely <laughs> irrelevant to it. Yes, you know, um. So if it was only, like, three chapters 
of orphanage shenanigans, I think that would be fine. Um, and, like, the issue for me deciding on where this game falls is once you do get to Tokyo and you are doing that Yakuza stuff and you are following those plot hooks, Yakuza 3 is really good. It's like, it, it's it was the first game on the PS3. It looks incredible still. Granted, I am playing, like, the PC remaster, but I looked at comparisons. It's not, like, that much better. Like, the character acting and animation, the environments are all so detailed. And, like, it does start, like, uh, getting some real good dramatic tension. Like, people die. Characters you would assume, well, I had assumed would be mainstays of the series, like, get killed off. And uh, their their deaths mean something, which is kind of a shock for a long-running series. Um, and, yeah, so I just... I'm going to wait on my ver verdict for when I actually finish it. I'm on chapter 10 of 12, so I've got to be close to the end. Um, I'm... But, right, it just really depends on how much, like, when I take a step back and be like, okay, 40% of this game was orphanage shenanigans. Was that really the high, like, worth being 40% of the game? I always thought that, uh, yeah, because it was an uh, interesting, um, like, spiritual successor to Shenmue, which are games I have great affection for. Yeah, I was about to say, like, you... Uh, probably like it because of the Shenmue angle. And I know Shenmue really likes to, uh, you know, blue balls you, saying, like, you can't <laughs> enter the store until... Certain time of day. <laughs> it's the t yeah. yeah. You gotta remember to take off your shoes and stuff. Uh, Yakuza doesn't quite go simulator like that, mm -hmm. but it finds, like, other ways to prevent you from doing things. Yeah, Shenmue is my flight simulator of living in Japan. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I adore it because that's the game. I had in my head as a kid of where video games would go with Shenmue. I thought that was like the oh, future yeah. of everything was that we'd be in these like lived in spaces and uh, we'd be doing a lot of orphan shenanigans. But uh, uh, only these games have really <laughs> lived up to that uh, credential to me. Yeah, I think it's just, I think the reason why Shenmue didn't really take off is probably because Shenmue took a long time to make, <laughs> yeah. for one thing. And I don't think it really made as much of a return. I think the first one did pretty good, but the second one came out like as as they were saying the Dreamcast is dead, we're not supporting it. It was basically like the Shenmue two mm. timeline, and then got ported to Xbox. I played you know all the versions, and uh, I I love Shenmue. It's a, a very special game. I haven't played Shenmue three. I'm afraid, but uh, I haven't heard anything good about Shenmue three. <laughs> maybe I'll play it when I come back sometime. Uh, I I think I like it. Shenmue is it on Game Pass? I don't think so. Uh, I think I think Shenmue also has like the Deadly Premonition thing, which is what I really like about Deadly Premonition, which is exploring this town and uh, the open invite to kind of do everything. It's not the horror of the game. It's like living in this lived-in city, in that case, Washington, or in Shenmue, Japan. Uh, I, I yeah. think Yakuza, I think the appeal is the same, even if it's a little bit less on that side for me. Oh, uh, wh another thing about Yakuza 3, the combat... Um... <laughs> is not great in this one. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, they really they really try to make it flashy with all like these particle effects and like dudes you f you fuck dudes up in this game. Like they they bruise, they bleed, you like actively <laughs> see teeth falling out when you punch Yikes. them. The issue is, is that the combat itself it's just directly porting the combat from the previous two games which was like serviceable at best. Mm. So at this point like I need it to be better but the other issue is is that i don't know like how many 
beat 'em up like hack and slash games have you played? Uh, a lot. Let's say. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's say so a significant amount. Would you agree? Would you agree with me that the worst enemy in any beat 'em up, any hack and slash game, any game where you're trying to get combos, is the dude that blocks? Yeah, like the heavy dude that blocks is uh, very interruptive okay. for combo and score chasing. So, so Yakuza 3, like, every major battle is five dudes who block. Right, it is. Yeah, I and, remember that. That put me off, too. And it's it's a pain because there's no... I, I looked it up. There's no, like, guard break move. So you just kind of have to, like, guess where your openings are. <laughs> um, another problem is that the Steam release, which I am playing... Well, the remaster, so I guess it's any version that's the remaster of Yakuza 3. They cut down the, the length of your dodge mm-hmm. uh, to accommodate for the higher frame rate, which doesn't really work. So you have, you're supposed to use your dodge move to get behind people, but the issue is, is now your dodge only goes half the distance. I had to download a patch to correct it, <laughs> and the combat started feeling better from there, but it's still not great. Sure. Uh, did you ever but, did you ever try binary domain from the Yakuza, uh, Yakuza developers? No, this is the first I'm hearing of okay, it. Okay, so it's what a it? third person shooter that the it's like the same small team developed it that was also on PS3, mm-hmm. 360, and it was a uh, uh, I guess it, the twist was that it was funny like Japan would take like our very generic third person shooters and try something else like uh, it's like mm-hmm. a very character driven thing where the um, you, you go with the squad, but they all have, like, realistic personalities that develop, and there's a, a consequence system for, like, how well they do, or um, uh, just things that play into their uh, morality with each other, uh, and how they function as a squad. It was, it was an interesting game. Um, so, these are interesting developers. I do like when they branch out from Yakuza occasionally. Yeah. Like, so far, I'm still... I'm not going to say Yakuza 3 is bad, mm-hmm. but it's leaving... Let's say it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth, uh, potentially. Sure. So, yeah, I'll I'll finish it and see how it sits with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one after this, actually, I move on to like the only spinoff I have access to, which is the the zombie survival oh. horror. Yeah, that one's interesting. Um. So we'll see. Um. But yeah, that'll be it for the the yakuza sort of minute. <laughs> Um, we don't really have a variety minute for this week. Instead, we're going to be going over news from not E3, uh, or Key3, as I saw some people addressing it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, Key3, uh, not E3, an E3, yeah. Do you count that Sony state of play from, like, we got at the start of the month as part of not E3. Would you like to count it? I, I kind of count it because that's where we saw Resident Evil 4 revealed and Street Fighter 6. Yeah, and I think it's kind of not locked into like a week. It's like the summer of gaming is how it keeps being positioned, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. uh, there's going to yeah. be like conferences from now till Gamescon. So uh, I think that's that was always the season of uh, game reveals was uh, technically now till Gamescon. Till Keeley went and made his... Uh, game awards which really opened it up meanwhile nintendo yeah. were doing their directs which are the two things that i think uh, pulled us away from this reveal season which is uh, uh this is usually the dead part of the year like in the 90s you wouldn't get games coming out this part of the year um it was primarily to sell consoles and get you ready for the uh, holiday game season that was coming so uh after you know everyone had settled down they bought their christmas gifts you'd come into june 
half a year later and you'd see what you were buying next year. Uh, mm. And I, I guess like just like a, a victim of their own success, you have things like Keeley's show that now seems kind of, uh, why would you why would you need that when everyone has their own direct, I guess, is kind of the feeling this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, was there anything in the Sony state of play that you found interesting? I I can hardly remember. Because we, uh, we kind of talked about the Resident Evil 4 remake with mm-hmm. uh, Aesir last week. Or not last week, last episode. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> last week for me. Do you have any thoughts about that? Is is Resident Evil even like a series near and dear to your heart? I, I've played all of them that are the mainline games, right? Like, I, I, uh, mm-hmm. I have very much fondness for remake and... Uh, I was a Silent Hill guy, honestly, and I'm a Deadly Premonition guy, but, uh, you know, I mean, Resident Evil's not my how's, favorite. How's being a Silent Hill guy working out for you? Holy shit. It's very painful. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't always choose there was too things. much. There was too much realness in that holy shit. <laughs> Konami is just a very painful company. I mean, they're, they're more likely to make a good... Uh, Silent Hill pachinko game than a, a real video game. Although there was the announcement, I guess, last week that they're working on like a, a meta thing that's multimedia and they're going to start rolling out uh, games, movies, other media for Silent Hill. Very worried. So, so. Uh, yeah, it's too Yeah, that's what... Silent Hill really was lacking branding, you know? <laughs> I guess what surprised me about Sony is they went all in again on like this very like... Uh, a thing that's such an evident loss for them, which is their second VR technology. Like, I, I, I didn't even know that they had, like, VR2 was a thing. I thought they were still on, like, VR. No, I think that's what, like, that conference was meant to be for them. Was like, this thing that they're mm-hmm. they're still doing VR, they're still in it. We're adding PSVR2 to, like, No Man's Sky and all these games that will, uh, uh, you know, be uh, furthered by that. But uh, I'm kind of out on, like, the, the regular Sony stuff lately. Um, yeah they've kind of they've kind of slipped away you they're really on, like when this generation started with the xbox one x i hate saying that console name and the ps5 um i was kind of like oh i'm gonna get the ps5 because that will have all the like franchises i like mm-hmm. um but now sony's porting all their stuff to pc and also they don't have anything to compete really with game pass and they're also not announcing anything so yeah, I'm. They're kind of losing grace very fast, and they need to like really. They're like looking like Nintendo in the Wii U era, honestly. Oh, I, I guess without like the really amazing like underrated exclusives, like their exclusives are very bold, and you know they wear them, but they're not. I mean, there's not like platinum games coming out. It's not like there's something for like no. core gamers. That's like uh, a real appeal on uh, PS5. I don't even know what they're. I don't know what their like market segment. I don't know what their niche is anymore. I, I don't know what PlayStation. I think it's or... the. I think it's like the cinematic Naughty Dog type experiences. Oh, is that it? I mean, I think that might be it now. I think that might be the thing. Yeah, because, <laughs> like you said, they don't like they just can't compete with Game Pass. And you know, I'm 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 very pro like like not having exclusives. Like I'm I'm yeah. glad. Stuff like Spider-Man and God of War are coming to PC, but it also raises the question of, like, what is the value in a PS5? Yeah, especially, I feel like we went over, like, the values of the Xbox in a way I can't do for the PS5. Uh, I guess, like I said, I'm going to buy it when things uh, slow down. It's also not been accessible. I've been trying to buy a PS5 for, what, two years now? And I, I haven't seen one. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, the, the chip shortage definitely has hurt yeah. them more than it did Xbox. For sure. I mean, Microsoft can produce a lot in-house. I mean, they have very, you know, uh, stable uh, uh, ability to create consoles, and they have the two systems, too, like the, the S and the X. So uh, the S was very easy to find. Um, I, I still haven't found a PS5, and I have been looking up until I bought the Xbox. Hmm. All right. Well, not much to say about Sony. So no. what really sort of kicks off not E3 is the Summer of Games. <laughs> Jeff Keighley's Game Awards, but we're not giving out awards. We're just doing the commercials, which is the only reason anyone really tunes into the Game Awards. Right. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Everything was Dead Space, I think, was our, our constant line and all that's around the internet about that whole show. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of space horror, which I was not... If you had, like, given me... If we had actually done bingo cards this year, I would not have called, like, resurgence of sci-fi horror. But, yeah, everything looks uh, mildly the same. And I feel bad for EA. Do I... Am I going to say I feel bad for EA? They have one video game that's uh, technically coming out that seems novel and not a sports game. And that's their Dead Space remake. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Mm-hmm. I think... You know what, I'll, I'll I'll say it's okay to feel bad for EA because they have really lost a lot of their, like, villain status, and now they're just kind of sad. Yeah, it's not like they're not making all the favorite games of my favorite developer. They're making one video game. I mean, they're, you know... Yeah, it's not like <laughs> the age where they're, like, they're adding in loot boxes, early loot boxes into Mass Effect 3, and I get to be mad because that's a scummy thing to do to a to a neat game uh-huh. now it's like they're not even they're not even trying to make neat games to corrupt you know yeah i mean like it it's like if their stu- if their studios died now i'd be like good i hope they go somewhere else like whereas before yeah. it was like uh ea's taking them out behind the hill and, and killing them you know that uh comic strip that everyone posts every time the the yeah. pile of bodies of uh, different developers from you know maxis to you know when's bioware joining is always the line um I think it would be good if Bioware joined that that pile now. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't regret that Criterion Games folded anymore, and that like Ghost Games is your Need for Speed developer. Like that's good. I, I'm glad people are out of that system that makes one video game that uses Frostbite for everything. I think their their big bet on Frostbite is I think what really devastated their development. It's so hard to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll look into. Uh, listeners, list, look into the development of Dragon Age Inquisition. There you go, yeah. And how the devs had to wrestle the development of that game because EA insisted they use the Frostbite engine, which is not an engine for making RPGs. No. I, I play, I've been playing the new NHL 22. It's not an engine for hockey. It's, it, it's <laughs> catastrophic how... But it's got Frostbite in the name. It's about cold. Yeah, you would think but i mean just the way people move and the way it functions it's not you know it feels like a dice game and i remember that's the one thing from my germany trip at uh, criterion games is there was this nervousness from the developers when i talked to them they're like in three years everything's going to be dice and we don't know what our space is in that and i wish i listened more closely and reported on that because that seemed like a real harbinger for like what mm-hmm. was actually about to happen yeah so were there any games from the summer games fest that actually like stood out to you i said other than like the uh the callisto protocol uh there was the uh roller derby game i think uh what was it roller oh, yeah. Dome was i think one of my highlights from the show because i'm like the jet set radio guy and that uh looks mm-hmm. like that plus roller uh what would you say like yeah and it's got like guns and stuff that yeah. looks pretty cool 
it's like Jet Set Radio plus um, uh, heavy, not, not heavy metal, uh, twisted metal. Mm. <laughs> it looks really fun. I could really, I could really get behind that. Yeah, especially like really. I know we're kind of in sort of the age of movement shooters with everything being like a hero shooter now, but like I feel like we really have yet to really grasp doing crazy like movement in FPS games. Yeah. Or even just like third person shooter games, which this is. Sure. Um yeah, like in like the third person realm, I feel like stuff like Vanquish really uh, excelled. Again, like Japan doing very interesting things with like uh, Shinji Mikami, the uh, Resident Evil uh, director, um, taking mm-hmm. him and like applying him into a third-person uh, kind of survival horror space where like everything you don't do counts much more than what you do. Like uh, uh, sacrificing weapons and not using your favorite weapon will make it more powerful. Like uh, uh, we haven't got a lot of that innovation in the first-person space in a long time. Uh, maybe since like yeah. Mirror's Edge was like the last one that was like. And that looks different. Maybe, yeah. Um, I didn't have too much from the summer games that I really glommed onto. Just some things that I'm like vaguely curious about. There's a game, Nivalis, which is that like cyberpunk game um, about running like a cafe oh, yeah. and solving mi- murders. That looks really um, cool. That just has a real cute aesthetic, and I like the idea of like a cyberpunk cafe game. <laughs> um, Alien Dark Descent. Which we I still don't know what the actual gameplay is because it was a cinematic trailer and in the last like five frames it showed what looked like like an overhead squad based game. I wish it were anything else. Yeah, uh, that's the issue with pre-rendered trailers that try to be like movie trailers because I don't know what the gameplay is <laughs> and I think when I do see what the gameplay is it's going to be disappointing you know was a uh, stormgate in this one uh stormgate's another yes, one where there I have was no the... idea what kind of rts that is oh absolutely yeah stormgate from the uh, former blizzard devs yeah frost giant is the the former blizzard teams um yeah that was the other one where it's like a cinematic trailer <laughs> okay what is the game though yeah, no game uh, at least the minecraft rts actually showed gameplay it actually takes a whole lot of resources to build things like demos and trailers, and you don't want to reveal game systems that just aren't quite there. You end up with uh, locking yourself into development timelines and things that you don't need, but then don't announce your game yet, is always my take. Yeah. Um, well, I think that is the real difference between these new digital E3 events and like the E3 like conferences of old, like on the stage, because those ones I really remember doing a lot of gameplay demos. Yeah. Like you'd have a guy like narrating like this is Fallout 3 and it would show like a guy slowly walking down a street or something. Right. And you all that was obviously all scripted and stuff, but it was something, you know, whereas these, I think we've really shot ourselves in the foot saying, you know, it's great when it's just announcement, 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 because now there's not any time to really process anything and we're not getting any gameplay. Yeah. I mean, at least in Keeley's, he had like the uh, segments in between where he'd uh, talk to developers. It felt more like a stage show than uh, like Microsoft's clip show, which is just trailers and no breathing room for you to think about what you just saw. Um, But uh, technically more gameplay at Microsoft's. I thought Keeley's had a lot of, uh, things that don't look like finished video games to me. How do you feel about uh, what what what's my note here? Oh, I have a note here that says prompt Kel- Calvin to talk about Metal Hellsinger. Oh yeah, um, 
a lot of metal acts that are authentically interesting, and I like the idea of these boomer shooters uh, carving out their their own niche and uh, kind of continuing what Doom was doing. So uh, that. But this is actually supposed to be like a rhythm game, right? You're supposed to like shoot to the rhythm of the songs. It's kind of like the uh, cadence of Hyrule type thing, but in a a first person shooter situation. That is interesting. It sounds exhausting, though, with metal. It sounds like Beat Saber to me. Yeah, I I think it looks really exhausting, but it looks fun to play in like small bits. And uh, and it sounds like there's a lot of good uh, musicians involved. So maybe maybe that'll be interesting. Yeah, It, it does interest me. Yeah. Well, Calvin, did you know that Black Adam is uh, the strongest character in the DC Cinematic Universe? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> was he there to promote an energy See, drink? Well, I, I remember the energy drink in Rock holding he it was, in the gym. They, they cut to The Rock, like, in his gym, and he said, Welcome to my smelly, stinky gym where I just got <laughs> done doing sets. When I'm done in my smelly, stinky gym, I like to take a hit of my sponsored energy drink which is full of vitamins and things and then he just started rambling about black adam and they showed a trailer it had nothing to do with video games. there's no game attached it's not like there's a, a guardians of galaxy game that just came. it's not like there's that for dc it's there's no game there no 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 absolutely not it's Oh my god, that is the weirdest thing. And I'm very disappointed that the internet did not jump on that to like make the rock randomly appearing into a meme. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I saw some of it, but yeah, it really could have taken off in a way that um, I, that was, yeah, the regrettable part of that. Um, and when you were at E3, like I've, I've sat in the conference rooms during them, there's a lot of pressure on the stage, you know? Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of audience pressure. They They might react badly if you if you fuck up and just show, you know, clips of the rock talking, they might boo. That happened. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I also saw things like mess up in the games. I thought it was very endearing. Like, uh, at, at Nintendo's, I think a few things messed up, but it was also strange what they always chose to include. Like I went the one time and, uh, it was the Pikmin three year and I got to see, uh, Miyamoto come out on stage. That was all great. And then I realized that, um, they, they didn't even show like the wonderful one one It was always strange. Like, Maybe it's good that you just have a, a whole show that includes everything that you, you really need. Because, like, Silk Song might not have made those old conferences till you know, five years ago. Well, Keeley's big get for his thing, which was immediately leaked, like, only two hours before, was <laughs> The Last of Us remake. Yeah. Which I think I've heard, like, a very collective shrug about. I don't know anyone that's like, yes, that. They already remade it. Um, well, they remastered it. This is like ground up new, like new body rigs. New, they're updating the combat to make it more like two. I have not played two, so I can't really say if that would be a good thing for yeah, Last of Us One. Yeah, I don't know how that would uh, be. Overall, like it just kind of reminds me um, of when for the the PS4 Spider Man, they went in and patched it to make Spider Man look younger. <laughs> yeah that's right i remember that and that's what it reads to me and it's like i can't the issue i can't go back and play that game like i love that game but i can't go back and play it because i'm like who's this turd yeah i don't i don't want character model changes and they're they do look very different actually Uh, yeah surprisingly and it's just like and i just question like you know when we're talking you know on the on the on the youtube gamer 
uh, shows of the future. You know, Scott the Waz 2099. Mm. When he's talking about Last of Us 1, is he going to show clips of the original PS3 game or is he going to show the remake? I'm fairly certain he's going to show the original game. Yeah, I, I feel like the remaster will probably be is what will be shown. And uh, I think, like, canonically, that's the game that we're going to hold up as the version to play. Um, yeah, it's just a weird thing to throw out there. And I think it's really just, it just, like, smells of tie-in for the show. And I just think it's another thing where Sony doesn't know what their identity is other than this. Um, the, the, yeah. like, the only thing they could think of that's a showstopper is the thing they did eight years ago and then did four years ago again. Real talk, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a joke about uh, DC Comics, how they remember, how they seem to think they've only done two things. <laughs> One is Dark Knight Returns and the other is Watchmen. Sure. So everything has to tie back to those comics. Um, and that's really how Sony feels right now. Yeah. It's like we've got Naughty Dog, but like you know. I'm afraid they're doing the. What happens if Naughty Dog leaves? <laughs> I'm afraid they're doing the uh, EA Dice thing, where they're saying we need all of you to do what our leading company is doing because they could come and help you mm-hmm. when there's trouble. Like a, uh, we could get uh, um, Sony Santa Monica on the same level, and then we could have them as our lead studios, and and they'll come and help you guys when your game is faltering. But then all your games become like EAs like there there's no more purpose to to the market and the, it's like you have yeah. Anthem and it's like why are you guys still making games mm-hmm. fuck why are you saying well, that about following... Bioware though it's it's hard oh poor Bioware yeah. god I'm I'm so worried about Dragon Age 4 but uh, neither here nor there uh after Summer of Games there was the Day of the Devs which I believe you watched today I kind of watched it I yeah I was playing some Forza yeah. and kind of like was... tuning in this was pretty light, but I'm not like, I, I'm not like dismissive of anything they showed. I, I know it's kind of a meme, but I am vaguely intrigued by Choo Choo Charles. <laughs> Same. I want to. I want to try it. I guess. I'm like. I'm just interested. And it's not the train thing. I swear. But I'm just like interested in this idea of an open world game where there's only one enemy. Yeah. Um, that's kind of was my pitch for like the Resident Evil Three remake. That would be a good pitch for uh, that, yeah. Um, the issue is, is that it just looks a bit jank. <laughs> it looked a little bit and, uh, on rails to me. But, um, uh, yeah. And um, it looks like it's one of those indie games where it's very clearly being done, like most of the work is being done by the engine having good graphics. Mm-hmm. And I like the game engine, not the train yeah, engine. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> the train engine does um, have good graphics uh, itself. Yeah. yeah, I, I just, I think it's really getting all this promotion just based on the demented Thomas the Tank Engine angle and demented childhood characters is very in with the internet right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The only other thing that stood out to me in Day of the Devs was Roots of Pacha. Oh, which one was that? That's the. That's the uh, Stardew Valley, but it's caveman times. Yeah, yeah that looks sorry. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'm disappointed is that uh, you don't... I was hoping there would be, like, the Flintstones-style animals are your farming implements. <laughs> sure. Like, your your watering can is a baby mammoth, and, like, maybe your hoe is a pterodactyl. Yeah. But, but no, you're using, you're using regular 
regular solid tools. Um, yeah. Uh, what what really appealed to me? That it was like Schwim. I think was it's a hard name to say. I think you say Schwim uh, is the game, which looks like it's a Game Boy aesthetic, not quite like Anodyne, uh, not quite that game, but um, it looks like it's kind of built around like that hardware aesthetic style. Where you like slip into mm-hmm. shadows and it's very like uh, flat pastel colors. Uh, it looks really nice to me. There's a uh, also yeah. the game from the uh, Monument Valley developers, Desta: The Memories Between. I'm always interested in their uh, experiments, and um, I, I like that Desta is a non-binary protagonist, and that's a a good thing to highlight in these shows. Um, so. Oh yeah. Uh, more experimental mobile okay. games. If I'm going to play a mobile game, it's going to be something like Monument Valley or a little puzzle that I could kind of just uh, fool around with when I want to pull the phone out. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then we have our other big show, Xbox slash Bethesda. This was the only one that really felt like, like E3 style, which makes sense because it is like one of the like original main three of E3. Mm-hmm. Uh. I guess the big centerpiece for this one was Starfield, but I, I want to start with the show, the game they started off with, Redfall. They're sort of left for dead, but vampires. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot about that. But that's interesting. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, it's left for dead, but each character has like, like perks that only they can do. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see, and, and the, from the gameplay they showed... And they did show gameplay for this one. It looks like the maps are pretty wide open. So I would be intrigued how that all pans out. Because the issue I find with games where they want you, like, each person's doing, like, a different class, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. is that usually you have, like, the one person who's suited to running in, and they just kind of tend to draw aggro from all the enemies because the level design is actually expecting everyone to charge in. Right. So... I don't know. The one thing that annoyed me about that trailer is that they were doing, uh, you remember like when Ubisoft used to do uh, trailers for The Division yeah. and they like did the fake gamer chat? Yeah, just like uh, things people never say into headsets. Uh... Yeah. With this trailer, they did that, but it was the characters themselves talking. And I think that's just as bad because it's still, like, misleading people into thinking the game, like, is more dynamic with the conversation and, like, banter than it really is going to be. I guess I bought into that. I guess I accepted that as that is what the game wanted to do. Um, it is Arcane, right? They're developing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is the uh, it is the Dishonored devs. It is, uh, I think they just did Deathloop. Yeah, they're really good. Oh, I could play Deathloop now. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, that, But I don't know. Good. But are they the devs to be making... A Left for Dead type game. I haven't played Back for Blood still, but I'm I'm curious how these games are still developing. Um, I... Back for Blood kind of died on launch because yeah. they didn't really go into the fact that it's has like a card based system for progression. Again, I think something about Game Pass is really uh, a boon to these games because they could just launch and everyone can have them. I mean, I you don't have to pay into mm-hmm. it. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, if those guys from Back for Blood couldn't do it and originate the genre, I don't know why Arcane should, but uh, we'll find out. After after Redfall, they did reveal Silk Song yeah. finally, <laughs> but didn't give it a release date. So I'm still, like, tentative because, like, after 
after we get news on Silk Song, what is the game that becomes the new Silk Song? What is the game we're like waiting every conference for news on? Yeah, because we had Elden Ring already. That's out. Elden Ring came out. Silk Song, uh, Silk Song at least still exists. I mean, uh, uh, Cuphead DLC is finally coming I mean, out. Bayonetta three, we got <laughs> gameplay of. Lost Guardian was that for a long time. Uh, Duke Nukem was yeah. that for forever. Uh, Duke Nukem Forever was that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything like that, is there? There's, uh, and they're getting better about not revealing things so many years ahead. Um, yeah, I think. I guess the new Fable. I'll, I'll throw right, in that yeah, the new Fable didn't show up. Remember when that was revealed? Yeah, yeah, that didn't show up at all. And there was no Halo there, which is very strange for Microsoft after uh, just launching a game. Uh, to show no support for their yeah. developers who just spent five years making it uh interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> very interesting for them uh, maybe they need a direct that's halo style and just does that every few months because i think they really should be promoting it like the only thing you saw was that there's uh halo vehicles for flight simulator yeah Christ. well let me let me ask you this do you think like updates for live service games belong in in E3, I think that's the most stream. yeah. I think that's the most interesting thing they could be right now. Actually, I think that E3 as a concept doesn't really uh, fit my life as much as it used to do. Uh, I I don't think I'd go down to California again and go. <laughs> I wouldn't go through the whole procedure again because everything comes out so frequently. As we say with Game Pass, there's you know six seven things coming out the next month. I don't have to pay for it. Why do I need to look forward to other games? Um, I, I'm not worried about because... the buying schedule by next year. Um, I, I think E3 as a concept is very good as a trade show, like backroom meetings and uh, getting people invested in new developers and uh, making new plans, uh, uh, console exclusivity, like that kind of thing. I think it's all good for that. And I don't think it serves much purpose as a practical show. Okay. How do you feel? Because my take is, is that when this happened in the summer of games thing is that when they like bring out like bust out a big high energy trailer to tell me that Jimmy Amadeus Helperman is coming to got <laughs> anime gotcha game 12 yeah i don't care about that yeah i'm like i don't i don't really i have no purchase on this i don't, i just learned this game existed i mean it's i don't care that you're getting new characters yeah, it's unfair because I'm saying I want that for Halo, but if anyone else did that, I don't think I would be that excited. Though, uh, like, I look at uh, my mo- most enthused I was of the entire conference was uh, Forza Hot Wheels. So, you know, yeah. th- I mean, maybe, you know, when it's a big pack, that's really But expanding. that's like that's like a DLC expansion. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm you interested know? in. I'm not interested in characters. Like, that, expansions and big, like, DLC like that, I'm fine with. It's really, like, the, like, look when they pause the conference to be like and coming this season <laughs> on for honor you take you know take a look at our new sakura cherry blossom map yeah you can look forward to playing that in two weeks yeah i don't care uh i, I mean if it comes out like that day i think that's kind of fun but uh yeah uh i'm i'm a no. fan of like a day of launches for these things but uh yeah i don't, yeah. I don't really care so let I think the big game of the entire conference, like the whole June whatever, unless like Nintendo really poops something out in these last seven days, is Starfield, <laughs> which is the new game from Bethesda. It's their take on a 
science sci-fi space exploration game yeah uh, i was underwhelmed <laughs> I, I it's shocking that i don't have any feeling about it but not too shocking because i have never had any uh you know apart from let's say morrowind to skyrim uh but beside those phases I, i've never had any excitement for their in-house systems uh i i will still defend like skyrim yeah because skyrim the thing is is that like it's easy to shit on skyrim now because open world games have come so far since then but i think it's hard to forget like at the time like skyrim was really the only game that did that sort of just like let me walk around in a world no consequence yeah um, and that's what Bethesda always excelled with, but it looks like they really just haven't caught up to current trends with this. Like, it really, like, my heart fell out of my ass when I saw, <laughs> when they were doing gameplay for the first time, and it the first thing they showed is a dude walking up to a resource node uh, and pulling out a mining laser. I I couldn't be less interested in that. Um, I think Morrowind. I don't want to gather resources. Morrowind's my I favorite. I don't want to gather resources. But Morrowind's my favorite Bethesda game because of the specificity of the world. It's not because it's the largest. Uh, yeah. I mean, Morrowind's just one of my favorite games from that era, like the early two thousands. Uh, yeah. Mean, I don't. I don't have that feeling about any other Bethesda. Well, I, I mean, not any other Bethesda properties. I'm a huge Doom head, of course, but. I, uh, you know, not their internal development. That's Bethesda Game Studios, I guess. Yeah. And, like, here's something, like, from their press release that is really telling to me <laughs> about what this game's going to be. Yeah. Um, they ended with uh, Todd Howard saying, there's going to be 1,000 planets to explore. The press release uh, highlights that there will be four major cities. <sighs> Out of 1,000 planets? Out of a thousand planets, because they showed that one that like New Atlantis, and in the press release it says that New Atlantis is one of four major cities you can explore in Starfield. I'm very worried so, about that. A thousand planets, four major cities. Just really soak that in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about like, I mean, you think about like a geographical area. Area, you think of a lot of cities in in one geographical area, not just. Yeah, I mean, a. Uh, why would I play this game? I just And the fact that they really highlighted like setting up settlements and things, that just gives me flashbacks to Fallout 4 where that just was the game. Was setting up your settlements, defending your settlements, setting up your settlements more. Um and that's why I fell out with Fallout 4. Um Yeah, I'm very concerned that they took the the wrong ideas from that in 76 and they're still just pushing against this thing that that wasn't the thing that people wanted from them uh we used to tolerate yeah. their their broken ass games and engines because the uh story really uh propelled us through those worlds and i think when you focus on other stuff like a thousand planets and a uh, fort building uh, uh, uh like mm -hmm. fallout 76 is only that and this looks like it's mostly that and i don't that that yeah. doesn't get like, me to play a game no man's sky is only just now good yeah you know and it's like, this is from a team that seems to know what they're doing out of the gate yeah. compared to No Man's Sky. But also, it's like, at this point, why wouldn't I just give in and buy No Man's Sky? 
Yeah. They're li- they literally <laughs> showed the No Man's Sky mining laser. The only thing that appeals to me about Starfield is the ship crafting looks kind of cool because it's like Lego pieces. Yeah, I'm really into the ship crafting. I guess that's all I want to play it for. But again, it will be on Game Pass. So I could uh, at least not yeah. invest and, and just do that part. Yeah, my only other thought is I was very disappointed to see that it was only humans. Hmm. It's a sci-fi game just about, like, human exploration. When I heard Bethesda, like, sci-fi thing, I'm like, ooh, there'll be, like, five playable races. It's really just Stuff like that. It's going to be more like Star Trek. Yeah, no, the trailer said it's just about humans, like, looking for other life in the galaxy. I still just... There's, like, no aliens. I still just want... There's no no hot three to the (laughs) alien. I still just want Mass Effect, I think, structure-wise. I don't think this is... Yeah. I think like or hell, I would just go back to Mass Effect Andromeda than play this. Yeah, I think I would rather would too, which is very telling. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was the big game of the show. Yeah. Uh, PC gaming show. Do you have any major thoughts? I like the PC gaming show. It's it's consistently been my favorite show of since it started. I feel very overwhelmed by it, and I feel like it's uh, um, the PC gamer show. I feel. Like it's more correlated to what you see at like a PAX or something. Uh, that those are the yeah, kind of games. Maybe that's I why better. I like its vibe. Yeah, um, I think the vibes better, and I think the community feelings better, and what they show is more interesting, and the developers are uh, more personal, and that's better. Uh, so, I I just don't feel like it's a E3 presentation. Like half the games there, I I don't, I'll never play. Um, even the games I'm yeah. interested, in, I'm not going to play. Uh, um, I guess uh, we should announce that you're going to. So, uh, oh, uh, this is a, uh, a festival tie-in. Yeah. But, uh, yes, I um, uh, our podcast is canonized in the eyes of Tycho and Gabe. Um, I applied for a media pass to cover PAX West this year, and they got back to me saying I'm approved. So uh, that's that's real exciting. So I guess uh, um, you're going to get to play a lot of these. There is kind of my feeling about PC game shows, like it's a PAX preview. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. Uh, nothing stood out to me in this PC gaming show. No. Uh, Tactical Breach Wizards. Um, <laughs> other people were acting like this was a known game. It's my first time seeing it. It looks like it's the funnest part of XCOM 2, sure. but just as a game. The parts where you're, like, stealthing around and setting up ambushes. I love that. I love that it's about br- wizards doing, like, SWAT team stuff. I feel like I, I, feel like uh, I saw a lot of things in there that... Uh would interest me but again it's uh it's so much what so about quickly. uh you're a bit of a um <clears throat> older fellow uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> are you yes. are you a fan of system shock the original oh, yeah yeah I, I prefer them to the to the bioshocks even uh okay because i played the demo and i very quickly realized that this is not a game for me <laughs> because it's much more of the immersive sims okay. type gameplay which seems in line with the original System Shock. Yeah, I I like all the old shooters. Give me a marathon, Durandal. Um, uh, where are you, Bungie? Uh, you said you'd make mar- <laughs> marathon years ago. So. Uh, okay. Well, maybe you'll like the System Shock. It seems a very faithful remake. Maybe. Um, so that's that's exciting. There was a, a Scorn was shown at several of the events. Yeah, Scorn. Scorn was the Kingdom Hearts three of this year, and <laughs> that it was at every show. I, I guess I'm. Uh, Geiger head. I guess I I want to be in that kind of alien landscape. That's the only one that actually seems reminiscent to Alien in a meaningful aesthetical way for me. Uh, yeah. Well, they also said at the PC gaming show that it's not um, it's not combat focused. There will be some great. 
instances to fight enemies, but it's usually as part of a puzzle. I guess the weirdest thing for me at the PC Gamer Show is that they had like stuff that felt kind of modish to me this year. Like, I guess... Eight... Oh, they ended on like the Half-Life Alex mod. Right. Oh, yeah. The... That's just like a mod for a, a VR game that very few people probably have opportunity to play. Uh, but that's like that's par for the course for Valve right now. Valve is very pro like promoting mods and fan games of their games. Sure. They're like the anti Nintendo in that <laughs> they way. They really are. I guess they're Valve is always smart because they take whatever the pro consumer concept is and they uh, really invest in that in the moment. And Steam Decks are just coming out so they're they're kind of in the hardware space. I see their interest in VR. Yeah. I'm noting it. Um, mm-hmm. There was also like that uh, uh, James Bond game, Agent 64, which was odd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've heard about that. I've heard it's uh, like GoldenEye, but it controls well. Yeah. And our friend uh, uh, Cripplegate in the, in the Discord there, he said that he was uh, playing some of it and uh, um, not quite living up to GoldenEye, but what does? Um, oh, I was not a GoldenEye okay. guy. I was Perfect Dark. I was a Time Splitters 2 guy. Maybe Perfect Dark is my new go-to. Where, where, What happened to that game? <laughs> Remember the Perfect yeah. Dark remake? Yeah, that's right. Or reboot, whatever it's supposed to be. It was, a, it was an incomprehensible trailer that ended on the Perfect Dark logo. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like it's weird there aren't, like, uh, Platinum games. I'm worried about that studio based on the last couple of years of e Platinum, yeah. I'm, I'm very I, worried. I, Platinum's never been a... It's a studio I kept tabs on. I've oh, never okay. really been into their games. I'm, like, a hardcore but, uh, Resident Evil 4 Mikami person, so I, I guess I'm very into the personalities of that studio. I feel like they're all, like, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, I picture them as, like, a... Um, Japanese biker gang of the studio. I, I picture them all like walking in with leather jackets and shit and being like, a, yeah, we're, we're yeah. the cool uh, developers from Japan and we're going to fuck shit up. But uh, I don't have that energy the last three years from then. Mm. So moving into the second half of our sort of like retrospective, like do you like the moratorium segment, the in memoriam, do you feel that this is the nail in the coffin for E3 as a concept? I mean, E3 itself says it's coming back, so I don't know. Uh, I don't. Yeah, but so did Mac and me. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but do you think it will ever like be back, or do you think it's going to be more of this? I think it's necessary for it to come back as a place where the um, where studios could go meet with people and have like the the conference rooms and everything. I don't feel like it needs to be. Um, like the, Do you think it needs to go back to like its roots of just being a trade show? Yeah, I think it should be a trade show. I think they like opening it to the public the last four years kind of took like some of the intrigue away because it just became uh, corporate packs, which I think is yeah. less useful than packs. Like, uh, yeah, and definitely like on the show floor they started showing less stuff because they had public access, so they didn't want everything filmed. You know, they can't like embargo the public. Um, so I think. Like, just inherently, the structure of E3 has to go back to, like, a trade show where I think it's industry only and, like, a, uh, you know, people ordering stuff. I, I mean, that's my interest. I, I doubt that's a... Yeah, it just it just feels like E3 has really fallen from the days where you would call it, like, the Christmas time for gamers. <laughs> yeah, it's not that, no. Because E3 used to be the one time of the year that all the gamers on the internet could come together... To just collectively dunk 
on the corporations <laughs> that make them their shit. You know, like like snark Twitter on E3 was always the highlight of my year. And like this year, there was hardly any good snark. I know. There was hardly any. Like I said, the rock thing, no one really made jokes about that. It's like just it just felt so less this year. Like I don't even feel like I have a game of the show. Man, I you know I just remember like the, the hard sweat of like running around E three and like the amount of stuff that used oh, to yeah. be there. Like it it's miserable to attend in person. Like it's almost impossible to keep up with announcements. Like uh, you know, you're on the show floor and your friends are texting you about stuff that's announced that you don't know about and then you're like running trying to find out if it's on yeah. the floor. Like it was you know, before everything was, I'd say, completely connected on the internet, it was a uh, yeah, it was very hard to cover in like uh, yeah, 2010 ish and a few years before. Uh, um, Pax is so much better. Um, yeah, and then your boss texts you saying you got to cover the Cuphead demo, and you're like, I'm the hardware guy, I don't play games. Yeah, and then well, <laughs> the rest is history. And the years I was going, it was uh, it's weird because we say like, oh, it was better or whatever, but the years I was going, it was very much uh motion control uh you know it was a lot of gimmick it was a lot of, yeah tech demos every you know every area of the show floor had like a just dance clone and uh within like oh, really? that it would be booming like lady gaga's just dance like literally when that was starting up that series and it was a uh, they had like a, a luchador wrestling ring like i think like all that like extravaganza huh. and like uh booth babes uh, I, I think like that's over um I was just about to bring up the booth babes. Yeah, I mean, they were there when I was still doing it in, like, 2010, 2012 was still booth babe era. Shocking. Like, that's 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, like, I I stumbled across knowing E3 existed because I, I, I saw it on G4, mm-hmm. which I think is how a lot, I feel like a lot of people my generation found <laughs> out about E3 okay. was when G4 started covering them. And I... I distinctly remember it was the e3 where fallout 3 was revealed um and just like i don't know this whole notion that there was a time of the year where you just learned about all the video games that would come out uh was shocking to me because typically i would wait for like commercials to tell me that a game was out i didn't learn that kingdom hearts 2 was out until i saw a commercial for it um you know yeah i mean i got magazines originally i had electronic gaming monthly oh, and nintendo yeah. power and those kind of led me and then uh yeah i mean like egm was always good and then we had like electric playground uh which was like uh um tommy Tolerico and victor lucas were on there originally then they had like a yeah their g4 show after that i mean there was ways to be connected um i, yeah. I guess uh, i followed every e3 <laughs> it's almost well, embarrassing to say now but i've seen the whole thing uh unfold i'm um i'm as old as e3 i learned okay i'm I'm just a bit Uh, older old enough that i was into video games uh, basically right when it started was like the the height of me being like oh shit video games yeah do you have like a particularly fond like e3 memory yeah i think it's really dreamcast era for me it was really just like i had internet access suddenly i would like you said it was like christmas i'd just stay up like waiting for things and i'd just be like I remember just having like a chocolate milk and like sitting there looking at like all these like, uh, you know, things uh, that were just coming out like screenshots. I couldn't even load video onto my computer at the time. And I was just like, you know, like after school snacks. And, you know, it was all I could think about at school. And I just come home and I was just sitting mm-hmm. there just indulging in this whole world that I always dreamed existed. And I never got to see 
until then. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's no, like, real solid E3 reveal that <laughs> sticks out in my mind. Maybe... <sighs> Maybe, like, the E3 where Kingdom Hearts 3 was really pre prominent. <laughs> and that just, like, specifically because it, like, solidified to me that that game was real. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, because, like, I, I knew it was still happening. There was no, like, point in my mind where I was like, Kingdom Hearts 3 is never going to happen. Sure. But, like, seeing it, like, actually seeing, like, the final state of the game, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to be, like, physically holding this. Before I, I'm, like, turning gray, you know? Sure. Um, I think the E3, where I'm trying to find the which show it was, which year it was, uh, where Nintendo went really ham on the Wii reveals. <laughs> like, the E3, where, like, Other M, Skyward Sword, and all that was revealed. Okay, I was there for that at the at, at the actual conference. So, that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, being there was like nothing you ever it was like that it was like having a christmas as i gave it like uh, it was just surreal um i feel like a let's see i think reggie feel him when he was like revealed as like the nintendo mascot suddenly and the and nintendo huh. realized that they needed personalities besides miyamoto at the front of the company i think that was the yeah. height of like what nintendo could do at e3 um you were there for my body is ready <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I wasn't at that conference if I was. Um, that's the other thing. You can't go to every conference because everything uh, conflicts eventually because there used to be six, seven of these shows. Like you used to have Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, Konami, uh, Square Enix. Um, you know, these were all separate conferences. Bethesda had their own yeah. um, EA. Uh, uh, every publisher, Activision, they, you know, uh, you couldn't do everything. So you'd have to go home after the show and watch things while you wrote about things and it was just it's a lot of work mm -hmm. um I, every time that something broke during a demo was really fascinating to me like the connect uh, oh. uh avatar the connectimals yeah that's connectimals. i'm seeing it yeah. here i tracked it down uh e3 2010 <laughs> is the one i'm thinking yeah, I was of. There for that. and just looking over the list of like announcements not just for nintendo but all companies that was a that was a pretty killer year but i remember the connectables breaking <laughs> i re you remember wonderbook wonderbook yeah yeah i think so for sony yeah yeah, that was um that was doggone interesting. <laughs> I guess recent times, I think that Keanu of it all is the last like E three moment we'll write in the history books. The, your breathtaking, yeah, the Keanu. Yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. The Keanu of it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think E three is now down. we have the Rock. Yeah, we. Have, how far <laughs> down the hill we've gone? All right. Well. Uh. Are you ready to transition into our game of the week? Yeah, so uh, this was shown at the first E3, which is very significant to its development. It's Legacy of Cain, Blood Omen, um, and it was just uh, um, Silicon Knights kind of shopping it around, showing off trailers, trying to get more funding for the game, and then they were paired up there with uh, Crystal Dynamics as a publisher, and uh, 
it was a very small game at that point when they showed the trailers uh and that's when everything really changed for that studio and for crystal dynamics too yeah i'm just now realizing that i didn't uh put together like a bro style uh like this is what the game is <laughs> um i guess a brief overview is that this is sort of like a top-down zelda like for the original ps1 and dreamcast uh the premise is is that you are Cain, a human noble in the land of nosgoth which is currently falling to darkness and you get killed and resurrected as a vampire as part of like a conspiracy to um i guess reshape reality question mark yeah. uh and you start hunting down these sort of uh people in positions of power of nosgoth to try and track down which one exactly is to blame for your death and you use cool vampire <laughs> powers and there's great voice acting and lore and um how did you feel about it you're kind of the um prototypical Clint Eastwood from um, Unforgiven is what the developers always noted as their reference point. Hmm. Like an anti-hero that's... I can see that. I can definitely see that's that. That's irredeemable, but um, also uh, is kind of fun to play because he has all these cool you, powers. In you it. root for him. You root for Kane. Right. Kane is a bastard, but you root for him. Because like, everyone else <laughs> is more of a bastard. <laughs> like before that time, you never really saw like the irredeemable video game character. They always had an aspect of their personality that was very much... Uh, saving a princess or they were you know they're rarely destroying mm -hmm. an entire realm for the um uh because it's deterministic that that's what they have to do in their lives um so uh it's also interesting because you had um kind of like the the three factions there right like you have uh what would you what, what are they called they're uh the um okay so it's like the vampire the vampires the seraphane and the ninth circle right like the yeah, the people from the pillars are the ones you're hunting down, and then the vampires, and then uh, the seraphine, which are like the angels that have come down, and they're. Um, it's unclear if any of them are good guys. To me, this game, I was very trepidatious about starting. Okay. Because I've never played any of the Legacy of Kane games, but I've always heard that they have like, you know, the quote-unquote best writing in video games. Mm -hmm. And generally when I hear that, like best writing in video games, and it's a game from the 90s, I immediately think, oh, this is going to have some jank-ass RPG mechanics. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know? you think CRPG am I, immediately. Yeah. Am I, am I like prejudiced for thinking no, that? it's usually true. <laughs> but I was shocked to find this game plays really well, and the game plays real engaging. Um, I was not lying when I said it's a Zelda-like. It's a top-down game. You swing your sword or your mace or what have you. Um, the trick is, rather than being sort of a Metroidvania, like most Zelda games, where it's like the items you find uh, inform what areas you can go to, instead the items you find are very, very lateral uh, changes uh, to like, it's like new spells and like new toys for you to play around with, but they don't, they aren't really necessary for progression in a lot of cases. No, like the initial concept of this was that it would be open world, actually, that the, um, that it would be really? totally non-linear. Yeah. Like there's so much here that actually didn't make the game. Although they, uh, because of that E3 success and all the attention they got, they, um, overdeveloped by four times the size they brought, um, uh, quite oh. they they brought quite a few people from uh, Crystal Dynamics up to Canada, where Silicon Knights were, 
and they were it was a very fraught development um they had bad relations from there this is the only time that silicon knights got to make their uh the thing they created um all the rights went mm-hmm. to crystal dynamic thereafter um and there's a, a long legacy of uh of kane of uh, kane, uh, yeah a legacy of, of kane. uh kane cancellations where there's more cancel games than there are released ones uh like this was going to also come to the sega saturn with the uh, even more features and more like completing um like the magic bar had like four or five different versions that were going to uh, add more depth to uh, some of those mechanics um and, and that never showed up either like uh there was a finished saturn version that never came out um really yeah. oh that's interesting there are like four um, finished games that never really saw completion some of them got folded into other games what sold me, um, what helped draw me into this game really is the writing and the voice performances. Um, like, the story itself is pretty straightforward. Well, I mean, it sort of throws you for a loop at the beginning where it seems like you, like, the first level is just you. Not even the first level. The first, like, five minutes is you finalizing your revenge. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what else do I do now? For sure. Yeah. Do you, do you um, like that the, style of game where it wakes up, where you wake up and you're effectively dead for the remainder of the game? I, I kind of like that. How many games are there like that? So few. Um, okay, not enough. But all of clearly. them in this franchise are that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you've got you've got Simon Templeton as Kane, who just kills it. Um, you know. These days, we really like to complain about game protagonists never shutting up, like <laughs> always narrating what they're doing yeah. and what they're picking up. Um, that is totally fine here, even though Kane definitely doesn't shut up compared to even modern protagonists. It's fine because Simon Templeton has like liquid sex for voice. It's so good. And like every, th- every line he says, like when he's just describing a town that's riddled with plague. It is the nastiest sounding plague you have ever heard. And like the disdain in his voice is palpable. And then you've got like Tony J of, of like Frollo from Hunchback fame <laughs> or like so many Disney TV show antagonists fame, uh, just also killing it in his classic Tony J role of the guy who's like definitely going to betray you in the sure. end. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it stems also from our development of narration in video games. And Amy Hennig, I think we'll find is so responsible between this, everything, this influence up to uncharted, um, her complete influence mm-hmm. on how characters talk in games and, um, kind yeah. of structuring them. I don't want to say cinematically, but more like a film would develop than like a video game would, um, more like a book than a, a video game would be. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel I read that they like definitely wrote out like an entire history for Nosgoth, right. but they only wanted like s- so much of it to be on screen. Yeah, and that's like a great way because right now we're very bro and I talk about this all the time. Like right now, culture is very obsessed with like lore and wikis and writing out timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of games like cater to that. You'll find like a document saying like, "Here's what happened ten years ago. Here's what happened twenty years ago," um, so you can really feel like you know exactly how you got to this point. But here in Legacy of Kane, a lot of it's left up to mystery. But I definitely feel like the devs know what the answer is, and that's that's so much better to me because I like it being a bit mysterious. 
and if you go to, I think it's uh, Dart Chronicles. To say, I think there's a, a whole like uh, um, I forget the name. Legacy of Cain, the Dark Side Chronicles. Maybe it's a it's some. We- <laughs> no, that's that's a Resident Evil okay, game. <laughs> it's some website where the uh, developers went in. They they created like the whole FAQ for the uh, game, and and they kind of spell out oh. their mission statements and uh, talk about some of the inside lore. And uh, uh, it's it's very divided, of course, because like. Uh, uh, Silicon Knights made this one, then they had nothing to do with the second one. And when Soul Reaver came out, they said, that's not what we wanted to do with our story. Um, Amy Hennig effectively took uh, uh, her team and created something, I think, equally special that is very expansive um, based on another game they were developing at Crystal Dynamics, uh, Shifter, I think it's called. They took out that character and transformed him into Raziel, which was like a, a son of Cain who like came down and um, Cain broke off his wings. He was a seraphane and, uh, and threw him into a pit and he, uh, languished there for like a thousand five hundred years. So it like cuts into like the future lore of what this, uh, Nosgoth would be. And it's apocalyptic by then after. Yeah. Uh, I like, <laughs> sorry. I know you didn't quite get to the ending. I did. I did um, watch it. Um, I did play it. Way yeah. Back. I like that this game ends on like a choice like are you going to restore Nosgoth and and get like the good ending or are you going to rule the world and effectively like pillage it and deplete deplete it of natural resources and and that's the canon ending because uh I was reading that you go into the sequel and you are in the world that Kane took over he, he ravaged the world and that's just I don't know it's like I think devs are so afraid of the bad ending being canon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just kind of where we are with like fiction right now is that all of our, all of our bastards need to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think bastards need to be redeemed. I think they just need to be understandable. Interesting. And I, and I, I get that from like Kane because he's, as we said at the start, he's a bastard. He like has no remorse and like, you know, instead of health pickups in this game, you have people that are chained to a wall and right. you just drain them for blood. It's a great mechanic, actually. I mean, you don't know why those people are some of the places they show up. They're, they're kind of just like buried in dungeons. I just yeah, I just took that as environmental storytelling. Nosgoth is fucked. Yeah. I went into a brothel and in one of the rooms were five people chained to the wall. Yeah, that's just how it is there. Um, I mean, and you figure it only gets worse in that like with the with Kane, I mean, who's on like a path for vengeance and uh, he's uh, like fighting these guys and yeah. taking them down who kind of want the same things as him, like a nut raptor. Uh, what's his name? Not raptor. Nut raptor. raptor. Yeah. The, the first rap, the first boss, or there's a lot of proper nouns thrown around. <laughs> that is like my, my one complaint with the game is it's like, ah, oh, you shall seek out uh, M- Mobius the sage. <laughs> yeah. They're all like the seer, the sage the yeah. Um, yeah. They all have like their elemental name, like what their property would be. And some of them don't make sense, but uh, yeah. Nut Raptor would be like uh, wanting the same things as Kane, but uh, you know, perceiving the world differently. Like you, you go into his tower and you have like the two sides of the skull and you kind of see how he views the, um, the two sides of Nosgoth. You see like the very green side, which is, a uh, uh yeah. you know, how it is. And then you see the other side is how it could be. And I think that's like a projection of how it would be under Kane. And then that's constantly revisited in the soul reavers and the blood omen twos and uh, defiance, which is like, okay, this land's got yeah. shit. And Raziel could see the, uh, greenery that used to be there. Um, 
I also like Nutraptor because his eyes are like sewn shut and his, you know, he's like very grotesque. Yeah. yeah. It's just some great gothic imagery in this game. Um, I think the one, like the main complaint I have, if I were to have a complaint, is that I, I would say probably at the halfway point, the story starts like getting away from itself. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of, uh, go here to learn this. Okay, you learned that, now go here to learn this. And it's like, I thought I was on, like, a revenge quest. I thought I had a hit list going. Uh, but instead, I need to go visit the I need to go visit the Oracle, who will tell me to go visit uh, the, the older vampire from the opening cutscene. Um, and then it's like, oh, and then when, like, you go to this uh, city in the south, I think it's called, like, Wolgraf Wool- or something, mm-hmm. Kane acts like, oh yes, I was I was coming here all along, <laughs> and I was like, what were we? Did I miss that part? Yeah. Did I forget that proper noun? Um, <sighs> and then there's like there's a twist like betrayal that's not Tony J, <laughs> and and Kane's like, oh that guy betrayed me. I thought he was helping me, and I'm like, I don't remember who that guy right. was. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> it's it's yeah. definitely overdeveloped to to where like the the dungeons start to take a little bit too long and they just kind of lead to a boss mm-hmm. fight that, you know, that doesn't really pay off the amount of time you took to get there. Uh, oh, the boss fights are, uh, the boss fights are pretty the worst yeah. part of it, actually. Uh, they, 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 the nut raptor fight <laughs> is fine and then they get worse from there. The like the raptor, druid. Uh, the nut raptor one's just like waiting for these orbs to disappear and then you go like walk up to him and slap him. That's it. Yeah, but that's at least like a puzzle. Yeah, a you at least like feel like there's cause and effect. Right. Um, there's there's a later boss fight where it's a lady shooting spells at you while like demons, she summons demons in to fight you. <laughs> okay. um, and you're supposed to like, you know, you get a reflect spell. Right. And you, I thought to myself, okay, she's shooting projectiles at me. In every instance in this game, you just throw on your reflect spell and charge the guy. But here, the moment you get close, she vanishes <laughs> and teleports to the other side of the room. So I'm like, okay, uh, clearly the game is trying to get me to not use the reflect spell. I've got to actually dodge here. Except when I did that, she just teleported away again and appeared on the other side. And it was just an instance where the time I won was the time she didn't teleport. <laughs> um <laughs> And I just hit her with the Soul Reaver two times, and she died. Oh, sure. And um, yeah, you have those those four abilities, but they don't always seem very meshed into the world. Like you say, you don't need them. It's not like in abilities or Metroidvania where you need those to progress to things you've already seen. They're just kind of things that help in certain areas. Yeah, there's like, and that's what I like about the progression. It's not like um, I have the bow now; I can kill the Cyclopses by shooting them in their weak spot. Right. It's like, you know. Uh, I have a spell that stuns humans, allowing me to in- then instantly drain them. And I picked that up super early on, and I was having difficulty with these late-game knights that just take a ton of hits to kill. And I was like, wait a minute, they're humans. Right. Ergo, my like stun spell should work on them. And it does. It's an instant kill. <laughs> you just stun them and drain them, and you get health back. And I was like, wow, I, I'm very shocked the game let me like just break it like that. And it does consistently. At... At the midpoint, you get the insta-kill spell, the kill-everything spell, and the game's totally fine with just, like, it's still balanced, though, because that's, like, tied to your mana. So it's like, yeah, you can go through insta-killing all these hard enemies, but it's going to come to a point where you have no mana. You need to, like, account for that. Yeah, I think it's a very good balance, and in some of the 
FAQs, there's an interesting point where Dennis Dyack, the, uh, a very controversial creator, I guess, of this, and like Eternal Darkness and Too Human, he's saying like uh, that, like the eight bit game, eight bit games were bringing us gameplay, while sixteen bit bit brought us like uh, greater visuals. But what if during thirty two bit you just made games that had a lot of depth of content and like a whole world that is explorable, but you didn't focus on the technology side of it? What if game development mm-hmm. actually mattered because of the um, systems and patterns that were in the games? And what if game development was that? And it was a uh, meeting technology, but um, uh, I guess we should say it started as a 3DO game. So some of the visual uh, style is kind of locked into uh, technology right before the PlayStation. I, you know, I, I knew... Oh, yeah, 3DO, the console. I was going to say, I I was thinking 3DO, the game production company, (laughs) who did a lot of the Heroes of Might and Magic games, including, uh, and I was like, yeah, you know what, this has, like, Heroes of Might and Magic 3 (laughs) visuals in presentation, and maybe that's why I kind of love it. It kind of fit, like, the the ethos of what 3DO was kind of doing, which were kind of like these outsider games that uh, weren't quite technologically focused and uh, were... You know, probably not going to sell a lot, but uh, they, they had a lot of great ideas on, on those uh, consoles that didn't quite take off, like the TurboGrafx 3DO and uh, stuff that I'm really interested yeah. in. Yeah. Neo Geos. Yeah, I just, I, I was just very surprised by how charmed I was by this game. Um, I think that this game, I would really like to see a, like, a pretty dub version. I would be told, like, if they didn't touch the gameplay or any of the design and they just made it look good, I would be totally fine with that. Yeah, it's um, really stuck in, I guess, I mean, who wants to make it now? I guess what's happened the last three months, which is yeah. interesting, is that uh, this appeared at the first <clears throat> E3 and uh, now that there's no E3, um, Crystal Dynamics was just sold off to a holdings company. So, um, possible it was a holdings company, right? Some tech company, but yeah, uh, no, they like they're they're basically done. You know? Yeah. So I, I don't know quite like what the development of a, uh, I mean, this was one of the uh, three or four properties that company mentioned when they acquired them, but I, uh, I don't know if that's just materially, you know. I feel like a remake would be the right thing to do, but it's also, you know, two developers well, removed and a publisher removed from that. Well, the last uh, Legacy of Kane game was Nosgoth, which was a team-based sh- shooter. Why? Yeah, I didn't even try um, it. I, I actually played oh, it, did. and I didn't know it was tied to Legacy oh, wow. of Kane. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I kind of dug it, but that, that, that was super early, like, into the idea of like asymmetrical multiplayer games like the idea of a hero shooter with different like classes uh-huh. it's like overwatch wasn't even an idea yet um but the thing about nosgoth is i think like two years after launch it completely shut down uh, and now you can't even buy it sad. um yeah i would i don't know i kind of just want to like put a pause on yakuza right now and play the entire rest of this oh, franchise so like that's how much i loved this i am such um, a big fan of the soul reaver games especially which finally came to dreamcast uh, the first one at least uh, oh yeah um i'm gonna say the naming of this of these games kind of annoys the hell out okay, of me so... it's like the uh it's like star wars dark forces where it's like Le- blood omen legacy of cain number two is called uh legacy of cain soul reaver right. like uh soul reaver 2 and then Blood Omen 2, Legacy of Cain. Right. So, um, do you want me to explain it, I guess? Uh, this was originally going to be, I think, like something like Pillars of Nosgoth or something. It wasn't even branded. That was yeah. canceled for the 3DO, and then it was 
uh, taken over here, and uh, that's where that name comes from, because Blood Omen was going to be a separate thing, then uh, both <laughs> Crystal Dynamics and Silicon Knights tried to make Blood Omen 2. Neither worked, both were cancelled. Um, Crystal Dynamics had a game called Shifter that was effectively Raziel, so uh, they decided to brand that later so they could actually sell it and get mm. about $8 million more of budget. Um, that's why that's attached to this property, and that's why Soul Reaver Legacy of Kane happened. And then further from that, we look at, uh, uh, what was the next one? Where are we at? Um, Blood Omen 2. Blood Omen 2 uh, happened because uh, Crystal Dynamics decided that they needed a, a division between the property. They wanted to sell both uh, Legacy of Kane and, um, or they wanted to sell both the Soul Reaver and the uh, Blood Omen game separately. They wanted those to be uh, two separate and coexisting properties. So I guess that's a hmm. basic overview of why the titling is so strange. Interesting. Yeah, I I'm definitely going to play more of this franchise. So good. Um, so I think once I'm done with that, I'll make my judgment call <laughs> on whether or not it should come back because you know, not every franchise needs to come back with like a prettier reboot, you know. Especially since it's probably not going to be handled by any of the original creative team. Right. Absolutely. You're not going to get Amy Hennig back from a for a holdings company. She could be doing anything. Yeah. Um, she yeah. should be well, heading she a studio. Naughty Dog. Right. Yeah. She should be at Naughty Dog. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do think uh, it's all worth it. I think all the games are good. I think uh, Soul Reaver Two is probably the low point in that in that it's very disconnected from the narratives and kind of goes off its own way. But I think Soul Reaver and Blood Omen Two and Defiance both have a lot to say and are in conversation with this game. I would actually, I would be totally fine if they just got Simon Templeton <laughs> to like just read wiki entries <laughs> <laughs> and lore documents. I'd be totally fine with that. <sighs> Yeah, it would be nice. Um, I, I think you'll find a lot. But he, you know, <laughs> to bring it real full circle, uh, Simon Templeton is tied up with Bioware. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. No, he was um, a voice actor. He was, uh, he's been in all the Dragon Ages okay. and Mass Effects. Uh, he was Loghain okay. in Dragon Age, cool. um, which I was very shocked to find he can do a, another voice. <laughs> uh, because when, this, is, this is going on tangents, but in Dragon Age Origins, you got this very prominent character, Loghain, who's kind of the, like sort of the antagonist. Sure. And he's voiced by Simon Templeton. He has this very distinct voice where it kind of sounds like if Patrick Stewart smoked 20 packs a day. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then in the DLC for Origins, they give you like a new character to act as like your valet. And it's voiced by T Simon Templeton, still doing the Loghain voice. And it's very distracting every time he speaks. Interesting. So learning that he can do other voices was shocking to me i'm also a big fan of where silicon knights goes after this i i'm a huge eternal darkness head so if you guys ever do a show on oh. eternal darkness that's another lore thing that i'm actually interested in and uh eternal darkness is one of those games that i only know of it's interesting i, I don't even i can't even say like i know what it does right. i know why it's famous but i've never even like seen gameplay well it's interesting because like it's uh it was developed for the n64 and silicon knights is so cursed because uh, that was completed pretty much and then canceled and then it went out for the gamecube and uh it's the reason i got a gamecube i was just a, a big yeah. eternal darkness head and i uh, I love the like sanity effects and what it's trying to do. Um, and then they made Two Human, which was in flux since the PlayStation. The game they uh, got to the alpha phase and then canceled. Uh, so you you have yeah. to think uh, about ninety percent of the work Silicon Knights have done on video games hasn't shown up in the world. Um, 
Maybe that's like, because one thing I was going to say about this not E3 was there was a lot of focus on indie games, you know, and maybe it is so fitting for Blood Omen Legacy of Cain to be associated with that, because in a way it is kind of like an indie game that blew up, you know. Silicon Knights is one of those studios that, like, really love the craft of games. We're trying to do, like, new, like, advance the medium in terms of storytelling. Yeah, it was like one of those old indie games that got, like, the XBLA promotion. Suddenly they had money and could make it really polish. So so maybe maybe that all ties together, and maybe that is the future of E3. It's not about, like, the big AAA games, because those can get their own, like, you know, conferences. Maybe it's just about, like, putting promotion on the people that actually like making games. Oh, yeah, that's what I want, especially. I like the human interest story, and I like the developers coming out and talking. That's my favorite part of conferences, uh, talking to people, meeting new friends, and uh, just seeing the faces behind a... Uh, the zeros and ones that we are always interacting with. Well, I think that's where we're probably going to close our discussion for this episode. Uh, we're going to do some plugging now. Uh, Cal- Calvin, do you want to do you want to take up plugging or? Uh, you're a you're a better plugger, I think, than I. But, I'm, uh, I'm I'm okay. But I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm in the loop on what's well, all happening here. Well, we've got the uh, the Twin Geeks podcast. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No. <laughs> Sorry, my dog's breathing into my microphone. Um, what What are you... You just finished up doing Ralph Bakshi with uh, Brogan, my co-host. What's the next uh, What's the next big director retrospective? For We're that? entering uh, Altman's early career next week. Uh, after After this. So. Okay, okay. Robert Altman, that's good. Oh, no, we'll, we'll do the you, whole career. Uh, but uh, we're just doing the first part this coming week. Oh, okay. So his, his sicko phase. <laughs> sure. Okay, anything you're looking forward to in um, that? I, yeah, I'm interested in, uh, I, I forget the name of it now, it's uh, one based in uh, Vancouver that's uh, kind of like just this drama, this guy who get, kind of gets locked up like misery in this lady's house, and uh, um, and it's kind of just like, why is she holding him there, what does she really want? Uh, I think that's a really good surprise early in his career, but uh, second episode and on, we're all in like masterpiece classic territory, so... Um, Okay, and then uh, you alternate with I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, hosted by uh, Steven. We had him as a guest on a few episodes back. Uh, Steven and Vaughn talk about in-theater movies, and they, they don't give one one hide no hair, nor hair about spoiling <laughs> things. Uh, this is why you're the uh, best plugger on the site, as I always say. Uh, <laughs> I, they'll just have Top Gun up by the time this comes out. So. Oh yeah, Top Gun. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, my dad loved Top Gun. And maybe that's indicative of who Top Gun is for. I think, so. I think that's true. I adore uh, it. Uh, Steven is... Oh, sorry, my dog's here. Uh, Steven is also uh, co-hosting with you on Ranking the Monsters, where you watch a, uh, a double feature of kaiju movies and then put them into a ongoing ranking. And we'll be back within two, three weeks. Maybe we have a clip show, one that doesn't sound like a lot of fun put together, but we have, we have to get through all the movies that exist, so... Well, at this point, like it's like it's getting longer and longer for you to list off the ranking at the end of each episode. <laughs> That's why it takes so long to make them because we spend at least you know a, a few weeks recording just listing them. Um, and then you also host a music podcast that just dropped a new episode. Yeah, I'm alternating with Kevin. We're doing uh, 808 and Pod Breaks, which is now on all uh, all streaming services for podcasts, um, uh, wherever fine podcasts are found. Uh, 
and and I do multiple edits of that. So there's like a special Spotify version where you could hear complete songs. Then you could go on to oh. your podcaster of choice other than Spotify, and it's a totally different version with the just clips. Uh, so we don't get um, complaints from licensors. You just so your episode was on um, horrorcore. Yeah, uh, clipping um, a band from L.A. Okay. who does like experimental horrorcore that uh, Vaughn is a big fan of. He's on that episode with me. Okay, okay. And then uh, we also, speaking of Steven, we also have, like, roughly, uh, by my estimate, 70, 12 different stack spinoffs. <laughs> They're doing a lot within their one podcast, which is a lot of fun. Um, they have a, a uh, notes from the author, which is just that they're interviewing uh, people. I think David will be up by the time uh, this is out. Oh, yeah. And then they also do Office Hours, which is more, like, of a chill uh, back and forth between Steven and Jack. Uh, just kind of like things they played, movies they saw, other stuff, books they've read. Uh, oh. Much more like, you know, your sort of traditional talk show style podcast. I thought it was just an adaptation of the Tim Heidecker podcast, Office Hours. Uh, but uh, sounds like it's its own thing. No, yeah, that's very exciting. Too. I'll believe that's a reference. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I like what they're doing well, there. And, and there's a lot of shows, video essays they're doing. Um, uh, Stax mm-hmm. is anything and everything all at once at the moment oh yeah oh yeah yeah. and then um i think that's it as far as plugs uh don't let the modern cast get you yeah that'll be back soon we just did uh don't let the river beast get you which is our titular movie and uh yeah we have we have big plans for the rest of it so okay okay well then i think it's time to tease our uh our our upcoming game what we're going to be talking about next week in case any of you at home uh want to play along with us uh brogan and i have talked it's going to be a more of a chill episode it's going to be a uh, a game about exploring it's going to be a game about books it's going to be a game about ages uh we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite interactive powerpoint presentation we're going to be playing mist the prequel to rivet oh wow okay wonderful i look forward to listening yeah, and that's uh, that's probably where we're gonna sign off. Like I'm sure the music's playing now. It's me. I just wanted to say hi so I could be in the episode. See y'all next time. Bye.